Let's clap to the Lord this morning, can we? You can be seated this morning. It is great to have you here and just to experience God's, uh, the worship of the Lord this morning and so many of you coming off vacations and different things. And again, it's just been such a powerful, powerful summer. So proud of our kids ministry and and Kendra and Dustin for the incredible work that they did through all the volunteers. So you can clap again for them. But as proud as I am of them, I'm so proud of our staff that just comes along and, and, and pulls together with all, uh, with no, no matter whether it's their event or somebody else's event, that they do that. And even more so than that, the over 100 volunteers of you that came out to make this possible for the kids of our community. And I'm just telling you, we're going to need you. We're going to need many of you that, that saw your gifting and saw some things come out in you to take steps forward as we move into these four different services coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to need you in those opportunities, in those classrooms, continuing to uh, develop and, and move into the lives of, of our hearts and, and our kids' hearts specifically. But I'm so excited today to be able to introduce a brand new series that we are going to be doing over the next several weeks called Greater Than Everything. We are going to be looking at the book of Colossians. And it's this small little book in the New Testament that Paul writes, and we're going to be talking about that as we introduce that today. But listen, if you weren't working at VBS this week, then you realize what this week really was. It is Cherie Harris's favorite week of the whole year, and it is Shark Week, okay? How many of you watched a little Shark Week this week, okay? Pastor Bart went to Canada just to miss Shark Week. You guys do realize that. That was no accident that he planned this trip this week so that he could totally miss out on Shark Week because he's so scared. I can tell you next week, and he's back up here preaching, he is going to bring you some story where the Canadian scientists have taken the shark DNA and matched it with that of a Canadian bear, and that he came across some shark bear that he saw there in Canada this week. Well, just to mention a little bit about Shark Week, I got to experience over, the, over my vacation one of my favorite things to do, and that is to snorkel. I love to just lose myself under the water on top and, and be able to look at all of the creation that God brings to us. And I got to do this in Hawaii. We were celebrating our 25th anniversary, my 50th birthday, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were there as well, and they, it was their 50th anniversary. It was a phenomenal trip, and I got to snorkel all that I wanted to. But 10 minutes into my snorkeling adventure, I kid you not, it was on a beach, just like all the beaches that you've seen during Shark Week, okay? It was a wide open beach that then all you saw was the ocean blue in front of you. And so I was a little, I was a little scared getting into this. And so I, I'm going along the shoreline and I'm seeing all these fish and loving it. And literally 10 minutes into it, I look out into the deep blue and I'm not lying. I know you think this is just a story. It's not. Between me and about where the doors are into the deep blue ocean where it really starts to get deep is the outline of a shark. And I'm like, stop it, Cherie. It is not awesome, okay? It was not awesome, all right? I had to gain my composure about what I was going to do. Now, I want you to imagine in that same scenario, our illustrious lead pastor, okay? 10 minutes into snorkeling, do you think he snorkels anymore after that? The answer is no. 
Do you think that he is trying to find his sweet wife, Hope, an elderly person or a small child to place between he and the outline of that shark? That is what, folks, he's done that before, okay? He's told the story right here where he placed Hope in between he and an aquarium of sharks, okay? Where he was, he was swimming in, they were small little lemon sharks, but he did this with his wife, Hope. So here's what I have to do. I have to make a decision. Am I going to continue to snorkel gaining my composure and going out or am I getting out of the water? I stay in. I stay in and I keep swimming. Now, the second thing that's giving me a little hope and joy is that there are snorkelers closer to the shark than I am. Okay? So I go, okay, logically, if I'm a shark, I'm eating the closest thing to me. Okay? They were as large as I am. Okay? So they weren't going after baby the beluga whale over here. All right? They were staying with, okay, I'm thinking, okay, those people are closer. So I, I'm, I'm processing through all these things. The, the, the other thing that I didn't want to be is I didn't want to be that guy. You know that guy, right? The guy who jumps up outside the water and starts screaming shark, all right? And going, I'm going, well, either they didn't see it or they, secondly, maybe they're not concerned. I didn't want to be that guy and they go, oh, it's simply a Galapagos shark and we're all looking at it. So why should we be so scared and worried? So I'm doing these things, and finally, I get my composure and keep snorkeling. Now, Pastor Kyle last week talked about something about Jennifer and I, and the fact that, and why he had to bring this up in his sermon to make him feel better, I'm not sure, as I'm doing to Bart right now. But Kyle said that Jennifer and I, on a marital assessment, that I give to anyone that I do a wedding for, I do a premarital assessment. And it gauges them in multiple categories. And in one of those categories, Jennifer and I, we took this 20 years ago, we'd been married for five years, and we discovered something that we already knew. And that was, we scored a zero. A zero in recreational companionship, okay? A zero. Now, of all the couples I've ever done a wedding for, there's only been one couple that scored a zero in any category, and I convinced them that they probably don't want to get married, and they chose not to. They had zeros in multiple categories. I just want to say that. But here's Jennifer and I. We have a zero in recreational companionship, and many years ago, we got a chance to go snorkeling, and she overcame. She is as scared of sharks as Pastor Bart is, okay? She's a girl, but nevertheless, she's, she's as scared of sharks as Pastor Bart, okay? So Jennifer decides that she is going to overcome her fear and snorkel with me, and she asked me to do one thing, and that is to stay with her. By show of hands, how many of you think that I stayed with her? Would you raise your hand? You are correct, all right? I started traveling fish to fish to fish, and I got lost in what I was doing. I totally forgot where Jennifer was. And I swam up into a little tide pool. That's where the water gets shallow and you get into an area where the tide is going up and out. And there's always all kinds of fish. So I make my way up there. Well, eventually Jennifer gets her way up there, but I've already gone back out. And she doesn't know that. And she gets stuck in the tide pool where it's going up and coming out. And she can't swim hard enough to get in. And she starts flailing in the water. Now, as her husband, I'm just away from her seeing this. She is flapping her arms up like this. Her hair is disheveled. It is everywhere. And then I say the incredible words that she did not long to hear. Stand up. 
she's flailing. Stand up! She was in two feet of water. But she didn't know she had been in deeper water and is coming back up and forth and she doesn't know what she's going to do. She took off her flippers, took off her mask. She sat on the beach. She has never been snorkeling since that moment many years ago. But I love to snorkel. I want you to know in 25 years of marriage, we have found recreational things that we like to do together. Can we clap for that? That we finally, we have overcome our zero and we are on a scale of 10. We are rocketing past 2.5 right now <laughs> together as a couple. But here's the thing. I tell you those stories, but I love the aspect of seeing all the beauty that God has created. Amen. I struggle right now in this time of year where it's been so hot and we're going through this drought and every, just, everything just looks dead. But I love going to places where I can see the grandeur of what God has created. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to see. As we get into the book of Colossians, he wants us to see the grandeur, not of the creation, but the grandeur of who Jesus Christ is. And that's what the pinnacle of what this series is, is that Jesus Christ is greater than everything. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to get this small group of people in this place, what I would call the sleepy little town of Colossae. Paul is trying to help them understand how much Christ is greater than anything that's going on in their life. Our verse that we're going to memorize together as a, as a church, and we'll have these cards for you as Bart gets started in this series next week as well, we will have these cards for Colossians 1, verse 15. Now, it's up on the screen, and I want us to read it together. Now, remember, we always say the, the address of the verse first and last, so as we memorize this together, we know where it's found. We can go back to it at any point, but let's say this together, all right? Colossians 1, 15, Christ is the, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Colossians 1.15. That is the crux of everything we're going to be talking about over the next many weeks. Christ is the visible representation. He is the visible part of God that we can sink our teeth into, we can actually see who he is and see what he did in the life as he lived it out in the gospels. He is the visible image of the invisible God and he is supreme over everything. I want you to listen to what those next verses say to us, Colossians 1:16. for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made, that is Jesus made, we can go all the way back to Genesis. And God says, he spoke the word, the living word. That is Jesus. He spoke the name Jesus and all creation came into being. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That living word of Jesus was that creative word that the father spoke over creation. Because everything was made through him, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. I want you to grasp that just for a second. Everything that you see was created through Jesus Christ. He was the means, or he was the mode, and he was also the means. It was also created for him. 
that Jesus would see this creation and would see himself in this creation and that he would receive the glory back from his creation. He existed before anything else. And then I love this. And he holds all creation together. I grew up in a Christian school and my favorite teacher was my science teacher, Mr. McWilliams. Mr. McWilliams had gone to the University of Arkansas and he'd gotten his biology degree. He was an atheist and science brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. You don't hear that very often. And as a, my science teacher, he taught creationism and evolution to us side by side, helping us understand that evolution and creationism both require faith. Both require th us seeing things that we don't actually see today. And he taught me this statement. Jesus Christ is the glue that holds the whole universe together. When you see the protons and the electrons and the neutrons, there is something in between them that holds them together that they don't just split apart and divide everything that we see today. Everything is held together by some substance that we do not understand. Jesus Christ is the substance that holds all creation together. So when you and I are tempted to look at the creation and to worship the creation more than we worship the creator, Colossians is going to help us come back and see what the reality is. When we are tempted to see some issue going on in our life that has literally blown up our life and we want to get focused on that issue or those circumstances that are temporarily going on in our life, Colossians helps bring the focus back to us that Jesus Christ is greater than all of the circumstances in our life. When times are really good and economically we are riding at some all-time highs right now in our country, when economically things are really good, maybe for you personally, and you are tempted to get your eyes off of the Creator, to get your eyes off of your Savior and say, look, I've got this. Colossians brings everything back in focus to us and says, Jesus Christ is greater than anything that you and I can experience in this life apart from Him. So that's what we're going to look at in this book of Colossians. And my goal today is simply to set the table for this series. You know what I mean when I say set the table? For my family growing up, we grew up in church. I was going to church even before I was born. In the womb, I was going to church. And Sunday was an incredible day at my home. It was an incredible day because mom would put the roast in the oven before we left. And when we would arrive back at the house, I am just here to tell you, the aromas that would meet you at the door invited you to the table. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And we would go in and the table would be set. It would be prepared for us to experience something that was going to be a great family experience. That's what my goal is for you to, and I today, is that I would just be able to set the table of this book of Colossians so that as we take our journey into it over the next many weeks, we just get to take in all the things because we understand the setting, we understand who it was written to, we understand what Paul was really attempting to take place. So that's what our goal is today. So the first thing we're going to look at, our, our main points and things are a little bit different than we would normally do in a message, but here's the first point. It's what is the landscape of the letter? This letter that is, is exactly what I'm saying that it is. It was a letter. 
it was a letter called an epistle, okay? An epistle is not the wife of an apostle. That's not what an epistle is. That is actually a question on my religious, uh, my overview of religion of the world. That is actually one of my questions. Is an epistle the wife of an apostle? So many of my students miss that. And I've done, I've gone over it with them just like I'm going over it with you, all right? But an epistle means in a letter, is a letter. And what Paul is doing throughout all of these churches that he has started and friends of his have, have begun, Paul would write letters to them. And then these letters would get circulated to the various churches. And it did so through the first couple hundred years of the church, of the early church. And then they were brought together in what we call canonized into the scripture that we have today. But these were letters that Paul would write to these individual churches, and Colossae is one of these places. Now, Colossae was located in a place called the Lycus Valley. It is a place that today is modern-day Turkey. Now, the Lycus Valley was really a great place, but Colossae was not a big town. Matter of fact, J.B. Lightfoot says that Colossae is one of the most insignificant places that any of the Bible is written actually towards because it was a very, like I said earlier, a very sleepy little town. Let me describe to you, it to you like this. If Dallas were Rome and Fort Worth were Corinth, because these were two big pivotal cities, Saginaw would be a place like Ephesus, still a very significant city, and Colossae would be a place called Briar, Texas. How many of you know where Briar, Texas is, okay? I did not know until I was researching this this week, okay? Yes, you can put your hands down. I know you're proud of your own geography. Thank you. <laughs> but you know where Briar, Texas is. Briar, Texas is a place just on the other side of the lake. It is north of Azel. It's 6,000 people of its thriving metropolis. And it sits just to the north of Azel and south of 287. So it is right over here next to us, but I had never heard of Briar, Texas. And that is the Colossae of its day. Colossae was not a significant town because there were two other towns that greatly overshadowed it and they were right in the, the very nearby location of them. And you will recognize at least one of these other towns. One of them was called Heropolis, but the one you'll recognize is called Laodicea. And so here were these three little towns. Laodicea on one, type, one part of the river, Heropolis on the other side, and way to the south, or not way, but about six miles to the south, is Colossae, this little bitty town. And yet it receives this phenomenal letter that Paul writes to this church. Now to understand a little bit about these people, I want you to understand a little bit more to remind you about Laodicea. Laodicea was a particular church in a town that Jesus speaks specifically to in the book of Revelation. And you will remember this passage out of Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. It says, I know all the things you do. He's, Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea. I know all the things that you do and that you are neither hot nor cold. You remember this now? I wish you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, why am I bringing up Laodicea? Because these waters of being hot and cold are exactly the place of Colossae that we are talking about today. You see, what Jesus was saying to the church at Laodicea is, I wish that you were more like Heropolis, because Heropolis had 
thermally dynamic waters, much like Yellowstone Park. So up here on the screen, I'm going to show you a picture. This picture on the right is Heropolis. This is actually a hotel that you can stay in, in modern day Heropolis, and it is gathered around, their pool is gathered around this thermal feature that incredibly hot waters come from it, and you can bathe in the hot waters of Heropolis. And the picture that's on the left are the cold waters of Colossae, because they sit right outside or underneath a mountain called Mount Honaz. And Mount Honaz, as the, the waters come off of this mountain, they are incredibly cool. They go into the earth and they come out right at the modern day city of where Colossae was. And what Jesus is saying to Laodicea is to that church, look, I wish you were more like Heropolis or more like Laodicea. I wish your waters were hot or cold like Colossae, but instead you're lukewarm and you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. That is not something I want Jesus to say about us, amen? So this is, the, this is what Laodicea was, and the reason I bring it up is because it gives us contextually, geographically, where Colossae was. It was in between where Heropolis and Colossae were, is where Laodicea would be found. Now, what was the landscape of this letter that it was written to? Well, one of the situations that is taking place is what's called the Pax Romana, or simply the Roman peace. Roman peace is something that we shouldn't just fly by and not realize the incredible importance of it. It's because of this Roman peace that takes place from 27 BC until about 180 AD. This is in between Octavius Caesar or Caesar Augustus and a guy named Marcus Aurelius. So if you've watched Gladiator, that is depictive of Marcus Aurelius, that particular emperor. And the whole Roman Empire begins to fall apart when his son takes the throne. But between these two great individuals, these great Caesars, Octavius and Marcus Aurelius, is almost 200 years of what we call the Pax Romana. Now the reason that that's so significant, that we shouldn't just shake our heads out and go, okay, that's not really significant. It's significant because those 200 years are the 200 years that the New Testament church was being established. And had it not been for the Pax Romana, this Roman sense of peace. Now, if you were outside the Roman kingdom, you had no peace. And the reason is because this Roman kingdom, which had, was going to exist for 1,500 years, and we're kind of right in the snap dab middle of that in the Pax Romana, it's going to exist for 1,500 years. The United States has existed for 250 Imagine a civilization that is in power for 1,500 years. Now, this Pax Romana is the time period, the 200 years right in the middle of it, where the New Testament church is developing. And even though the New Testament church was under persecution from the Romans, it still forgave and gave the New Testament church an opportunity to exist in an understanding of a kingdom that kept everything flowing in one direction had there been multiple kingdoms that it would have been up and down we saw with the with the book of Daniel how these multiple kingdoms were very tumultuous for the children of Israel but the Pax Romana gave the New Testament church an even keel to be developed another key advantage that's happened during this time and for Colossae is what's called the Roman road 
Now, the Roman road was incredibly significant because it was the first time that a kingdom had ever built roads out from its key central place, which was Rome. For this particular area, there were 50,000 miles of the Roman road. Now, I want you to look at this picture of one of those Roman roads, that this road exists today and how well it was built 2,000 years ago that it still exists today. Would be it that we could get the Romans to help us finish Old Decatur and Boat Club, all right? If the, okay, if the Romans could do it, could we not figure something out to get these roads completed? Can I get an amen this morning? All right, you may not agree with anything else that I say today, but you're gonna agree with that. There were 50,000 miles of roads just like this that had been developed, and this is all around, this is a map showing where those roads would go all around the Mediterranean Sea. And it was these Roman roads that enabled Paul and these other early apostles to travel very easily to the places where we have all the books of the New Testament written to. They started churches, guess where? Where there was a spot on the Roman road to get to. So you see the Roman road created a landscape that little sleepy towns, even like Colossae, although it was bigger at one point, at the time of Paul when he writes this, it is quite an insignificant town. It's there because the Roman roads were there and enabled Paul to get there. So this is the landscape of this letter that we see the Pax Romana and 1,500 years of, of Roman rule, 200 years of Roman peace, these Roman roads that enable them to get to different places. And what happens is simply this. It made the world smaller. It made cultures of the world to be able to come into contact with one another where they had never come into contact before, except in war. Now these cultures and varieties of religions came together. A variety of belief systems came together. A variety of cultures and foods came together. This is the landscape of this letter. The second thing I want us to look at is what about the people of Colossae? Who are the people of Colossae? Well, there's some very unique things that go into the makeup of these people. As I just mentioned, there's these cultures that are colliding now that they've never collided before. And Colossae was one of the places that became this melting pot of culture. Several years ago, I was traveling almost every year, like I do now into Honduras, I was traveling then into Vietnam. And I went north into Vietnam and stayed primarily in Hanoi. It was one of the most beautiful places. And I got to know Hanoi really well. And there was this one little restaurant that I loved to go to in Hanoi because they made the best blueberry pancakes. But you see, Hanoi, I always talk about food. Are you noticing a theme here? All right. They made these blueberry pancakes, but the interesting thing was Hanoi was now a place where all kinds of cultures were now trying to influx and come in because of communism. No one had come in here before, and now the Australians and the Finnish and the French and the English, everybody was pouring in. So this one little restaurant, and I'm sure Bart has eaten at this restaurant as well because he was traveling in Vietnam around the same time with us. This one little restaurant had literally 150 items on the menu. They tried to be a restaurant for everyone that was coming into that local region. And so they had Mexican food in Vietnam. Now I'm here to tell you, 
don't try the Mexican food <laughs> in Vietnam. I've tried it. It's horrible. Go for the blueberry pancakes, okay? That's what you need to go for. But what's my point? My point is, it was a synergy of all of these cultures coming together. And this one little restaurant tried to be everything to everyone. And what did they end up being? Being nothing for anyone by trying to be everything to everyone. And that's exactly what was happening in the church at Colossae. In Colossae, they were taking in all of these belief systems and Christianity was one. And Christianity was attempting to get a foothold. And so what Paul is doing is he's writing into the people of Colossae saying, listen, you don't need to look at all of these things that are going on around you, these cultures that are trying to pull you one way or the other. You need to focus your attention on Jesus Christ who is greater than everything. Amen? And that's the reason why this is a great book. For us to be looking at at this particular time of our development as a church and of our development as a culture our culture is screaming out for us to become like it it is screaming out for us to to do all these things to look more like the world to be more tolerant to be more uh, egregious to the things that are going on it's our culture pulls us and says be more like us and the book of colossians stands as a testament and a testimony to us to look instead at Christ. But who are the people of Colossae? I've told you they're these people that they're kind of a cultural melting pot. But let's look at some individuals. First of all, Paul. How did Paul relate to this church at Colossae? Well, Paul had never visited this church. Paul did not start this church, which I think gives us a great entrance into who Paul really was. Paul is not just writing letters to churches that he was integral in starting. We are getting ready, uh, we are starting a church in Honduras. We're working with these new churches that are in Quebec. We are, we're starting churches right around us in Renovate and in City Post Church that are close to us as a church. But we are not just having relationships with those churches that we lock arm in arm that we've had a part in starting. We want to have relationships with the larger body of Christ in our area, amen? We are not the only church, and we are not in competition with any church that proclaims Jesus Christ. They are our brothers and sisters, and so we unite as a community. And Paul writes to this church that he had never been to. We see in Colossians 2 verse, verse 1, this comes out very clearly. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, this larger town, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul had never been to Colossae. He had stayed just over on the mountain pass going through another Roman road, but he didn't dip down and go through Colossae. He did not start this church. So if Paul, that is his relationship to Colossae, then who started this church? And it's likely another individual that's mentioned. His name is Epaphras. Please don't name your children Epaphras, okay? Not a popular name for today. If anyone here has named their son Epaphras, I'm sorry for the child. No, I'm just teasing. No. So Epaphras is who began this church. Paul did have a sense of responsibility for this church because Epaphras likely accepted Christ in Ephesus while Paul was ministering in that particular town. And Epaphras then goes back to his hometown, much like Bart went back to his hometown of Saginaw and Boswell High School and began this church 
17 years ago. So Epaphras went back to his hometown and began the church at Colossae. And Epaphras is mentioned in Colossians 1 verse 7. Paul says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. So we have Paul and we have Epaphras. We have two other individuals and one of them just so happens to be the very individual that Pastor Kyle preached on last week. His name is Onesimus. Onesimus, as, Paul, as, as Kyle mentioned last week, Onesimus was a bondservant or slave of a guy named Philemon. And guess where Philemon and Onesimus lived? In Colossae. Now it's interesting that God is bringing all these things together and it is actually Onesimus and another individual named Tychicus that are delivering the letter from Paul who is under house arrest in Rome they're delivering the letter to the church at Colossae and we find that towards the end of this we see where Onesimus towards the end of this in chapter 4 we see that Onesimus and Tychicus are the two individuals the very one that, that Kyle spoke on last week are the individuals bringing this letter from Paul to Colossae so these are the people that are are involved in this process that are bringing all of this together I love the details of all this I hope I'm not losing you in the details of the landscape and the people because it shows us how intimately connected God is to bring us truth and you see all these the Pax Romana the Roman roads these individuals it's no no uh chance thing that happens that Onesimus is the one who's bringing this and the very things that Paul talks about within this book of Colossians it helps you to understand if you realize a bondservant named Onesimus who accepted Christ with Paul and Paul sent him back to his owner Philemon and reestablishes this relationship and we know that this happens because the early church fathers talk about how Onesimus was a leader in this church and Philemon was a leader in this church and that later Philemon actually the slave owner becomes the bishop of Colossae and these two men led this church and they both are martyred in their hometown for their faith. We know these men reconciled their relationship. We know that God spoke into what he's going to speak to us through Colossians, through this relationship of a slave owner and a slave that had run away and God reunited in this relationship. So these are the, this is the landscape or the setting of Colossians. This is the people of Colossians. The final thing I want us to look at very briefly, because all these things we're going to be covering over the next many weeks is what's the message of Colossians? What's the key message that happens in Colossians? Well, we see this, first of all, is that Paul is attempting, as he does in so many of his letters, to write into a specific church and to correct issues that are going on there. I want you to think about something for a second. Draw a circle around yourself right now and ask yourself this question. If Paul had entrance into my life, what would he be writing into my life right now to correct? What issue is going on in my life right now that Paul might write a letter to me to correct? So Paul would write these letters to these churches to try to correct certain issues. The first issue that Paul is correcting is he's correcting those who look to Rome for security. People who look to their government for their security. Not unlike us today. 
We might look at our economics. You see, we've, 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 we've looked at this as a, as a country. We can see some of these things, some of these issues that go on in our life. And we have a country that for the last 200 years has peacefully passed the opportunity of one president to another. You don't see our laws fluctuate like the wind. Yes, there is some fluctuation, and yes, there are things that we may all disagree with that have happened in our legal system. But as a country, our laws don't flap like the wind. There is some consistency that's been around since every person that I'm speaking to this morning has been alive. There's some consistency because of the country that you live in. We often take that for granted. But the flip side of that is we often many times look to our country to get us in and out of things that our country has no business being a part of at all. And that is our faith. Our faith is what we fall upon. Our faith is what we need to look to. It is not our country. And many of the people in Colossae were looking to the Roman government government and the Pax Romana to be their savior. Their thing that, that they would hold on to. And Paul breaks this down very clearly. He does this in chapter 1 verse 24. When Paul brings out, he says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And what Paul is saying is simply this. Look, I'm under house arrest. Some of you want to look to Rome to, to, to be your end all and the thing that you hold your, your life upon. And I'm being persecuted and I'm glad for my persecution from the state of Rome. And the reason I'm glad is because it helps you as you see my sufferings that you, when you go through suffering, you'll understand and you can hold on. Paul corrects the issue of looking to Rome as the Savior. Paul is also correcting something else. He's correcting those who look to a state of sinless perfection or religious traditions for salvation. Folks, this is alive and well today. People who would look at a lifestyle of moral perfection rather than to Jesus Christ for their righteousness. I've had a dear friend in this very congregation that I have talked with time and time and time again about this very thing that they would like to live towards this state of moral perfection. And what happens when you do that is you base your Christian life upon your own morality and not upon who Jesus Christ is in your life. And when you get to a place where your morality falls and fails, as we are very open in our own lives as your pastors to say, we are not perfect individuals. Ask our wives, ask our kids. We struggle on a day-to-day basis, but we do not look to our own religious perfection and our own moral perfection. We look instead to Christ and Christ alone. Amen? And you see, many people for Paul in this church of Colossae, many people had looked to Jewish tradition. They had looked to uh, a particular form of what we call asceticism, where they do difficult things to their body. They may fast for multiple weeks and days uh, upon end, and they're looking to their own morality and their own religious actions to be their salvation. And Paul says, you cannot do that. It is through Christ and Christ alone. Christ is greater than everything. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. If you get nothing else today, if you've gone, okay, a great overview, well, you know, what am I going to get out of this? Get this passage out of this today. 
Maybe one of the most concise views of the gospel that we will ever see. You were dead because of your sins. And hostile, or because of your sinful nature, was, and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Today, you may be here this morning, and you may be looking to your own sense of stacking up your good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. And what Paul would say to the church of Colossae and to the church of Eagles View is simply this. You cannot get to heaven on your own morality, both either good or you will not stay out of heaven because of your bad morality, the things that you've done in this life. Because both of them are brought to their knees and canceled out at the cross of Jesus Christ. Both your morality and your immorality are canceled out. If you receive Jesus Christ, he cancels all your sin. And there's nothing greater than hearing that and knowing that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've invited him to be your Lord and Savior, the slate of your life, both past and future, is covered in the righteousness, not of yourself, but of Jesus. The third thing that Paul corrects, he corrects those who are looking to what we would call today a new age or secret knowledge for their own security. You see, Colossae was a place where all these cultures had come together. And there was a group of Jews who had brought from the Old Testament a view of, of the archangel Michael. And many of them saw Michael, the archangel, as the creator God or the representation of God. And they began to worship Michael, the archangel. And it led to what would happen over the next 150 to 200 years, a group called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis, and it simply means knowledge. So boil all that stuff down to this. They believed that there was some secret knowledge that would flip a switch, and then everything that God wanted you to see would come alive to you. And today, there are people saying just that same thing. There are people who are saying, if you'll just know this one thing about Scripture, it will open everything up to you, and now you'll have a clear knowledge of everything that you need. That's Gnosticism. Gnosticism fills the Mormon church today. There are, Mormon, there are specific denominations and there are specific belief systems that Mormons hold today that go straight back to this idea that if you have this secret knowledge, you'll flip a switch and you'll see things that everybody else is dark and blind to. And Paul writes to that in his day in Colossae, and he writes the same thing to us. Because we're in this religious tolerance type of arena today that says, look, there are many roads that lead to heaven. Pick which road you want. Jesus, that's your road? Fine. Buddhism, that's your road? Fine. New Age movement, humanism, that's your road? Fine. Hinduism, take that road. Okay, great road. Yoga, do all this stuff. This is your road. Go take it. It'll all lead you to the same place. And Paul says, absolutely not. There is one way to salvation. It is not religious tolerance to say Jesus is the only way of salvation. It is what Jesus said himself. If we don't like it, we don't take it up with us. I didn't say it. Jesus Christ said it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father 
but through him. Colossians 2 verse uh, 2 and 3, Paul addresses this. He says, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What Paul is speaking to that particular group, he's saying, when you find Christ, you find all the mysteries. Everything is revealed in who Jesus is. He goes on in chapter 2. He says, don't let, verse 18, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial in the worship of angels. There's that reference back to this archangel Michael saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. Paul is addressing these specific things. People who look to Rome, people who look to their own moral nature people who look to secret knowledge just like we see in our culture in our world today some bonus things that we get from paul in the book of colossians we get in chapter three we get some of the best understanding of what discipleship is as he speaks of what i call the put off and put on language of scripture things that we're supposed to put out of our lives things that we're supposed to put on chapter four he deals with relational issues how husbands treat wives, how wives treat husbands, how kids are supposed to, to live in this life. So we get relationship advice from Paul in this book as well. God is going to use this in us to help us understand our world, to help us understand one another much better. It's going to be a great ride, so make sure that you join with us. Would you just bow your heads for just a second? As we conclude this today, I want to ask you one question. What is it in your life right now that you need to acknowledge that Jesus is greater than? What is it? Maybe it's a circumstance in your life that you just can't get over. It's a struggle you're going through right now. And you need to be able to declare with us, Jesus, you're greater than that. Maybe it's this fact that you've never come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and you need to see Jesus as greater than your own sin nature that you have. That's the only way we come to faith in Christ is realizing that Christ is greater than that. Maybe you're a person who wrestles with questions and you have many questions about faith. This is a safe place to, answer, to get those answered. It's a safe place to ask them. But maybe you need to see Jesus as greater than your questions this morning. Whatever it is, it's our prayer for you that you would walk away today with a relationship with Jesus who's greater than everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your life in us. Father, for those that are asking those questions today. Lord, may you be Lord over their questions. May you be greater than everything that they experience today. May you show yourself to us. For the person that needs to receive you, Father, may they know that this is a place that will welcome them and will walk with them through that journey. For those that are going through chaos, personal chaos right now, may they see you, Jesus, as greater than their circumstances. May you receive glory in our worship this morning. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's declare the worthy name of Jesus that he is greater 
than everything else that's in our life today. Let's do that together.